tension boils and ghouls. <laughs> it's me, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And I'm inviting you to listen along to the rants from the Black Lodge podcast as they view my cinematic classic, Demon Knight. Till then, kiddies, pleasant screams. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcast and mouthpiece of the Southeast, Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. In the near two years of this podcast's existence, I have found myself at a loss for words only a couple of times. We'll add another mark to that list because today, god damn it, we have John Kazeer, the legendary voice of the Crypt Keeper, star of that show we all love and revere so much, Tales from the Crypt, and that is why we are here today with a full-length feature commentary for the feature film debut of the Crypt Keeper, 1995's Demon Knight. That intro just blew my mind, and it's one of those things, you know, you, I grew up with you as a kid, and hearing your voice and that hellish cackle just puts me right back in that mind frame. So I want everybody, like I said, to go check him out on Twitter, at John Kazir, and don't forget to follow us here at the Rant Army on Twitter as well, at Rants Black Lodge, and don't forget to subscribe to us on the many platforms that we are available, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM, and don't forget to visit us on our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. Well, let's get this uh, sideshow a-rolling. We're going to hear some messages from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll be tackling demons night. Stay tuned, my pretties. <laughs> That's my poor attempt. John Kazir's the man. Thank you so much. Stay tuned. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. All right, boils and ghouls, we're going to be going all the way back to 1995 to be checking out Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. But I'm not doing this alone. The ghoul sitting next to me, to my left, none other than... Hello, kitties, it's Fat Tony! <laughs> That's pretty good. I um, try. After seven or eight takes, it ought to be pretty good. Yeah. All right, as always, if you want to listen to along, uh, listen along to what we're doing, then by all means, do so. If you want a visual aid, pop in your DVD, Blu-ray, or whatever format you have Demon Knight on. Uh, otherwise, I hope we can just entertain you with our witty observations. Oh, we got this. You don't have to watch the movie. You get to watch the movie if you have it. It's just an added bonus, but we'll be plenty to entertain you. All right, what you're going to do is you're going to queue it up to right as the Universal logo is going to be careening towards your screen. And on the count of three, we'll get this dog and pony show a-rolling. One, two, three, three, play. All right, Demon Knight. 
was released in theaters January 13th, 1995. It was released on DVD August 22nd, 2006. And it was released on Blu-ray on October 20th, 2015. We're obviously watching it from the DVD version. I have not been able to upgrade to the uh, stunning Blu-ray edition that Shout Factory, under their subsidiary Screen Factory, released. However, I do have a qualm about it, and uh, there is a post-credit scene that is not available on the Blu-ray for whatever reason. That's odd. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, the planned sequel for this movie, the title was changed, and we'll we'll get to that a little later yeah, on. Yeah, we can cover that. Um, for once, this is one instance of a movie that I know quite a bit of the minutia of, as well as Mr. Lane sitting to my right. Well, I wouldn't bring you on board uh, to to bullshit a movie. You know, I can all I always know these, but this is one time I know some of the behind the scenes facts. Some of every you know, th- this is one of my favorite movies he's ever covered on the podcast. And I literally did tell him that I would cut him if he did this movie without me. Well, you know who else told me they would cut me if I did it without them, and that's St- uh, State Dick Eddie. And unfortunately, and this isn't him just you know bitching out. Uh, due to scheduling conflicts, we just weren't able to make it happen, but I'll get you back, Stank Dick Eddie. We'll uh, get you on another episode here shortly, uh, something I have in the works, and if it works out, um, he's definitely going to be the right fit for that episode. But we forge ahead, as always. Um, this movie had an estimated budget of $13 million. It grossed, uh, and this is not, uh, this is strictly box office in theater, grossed uh, $21 million. So it basically doubled its budget. And I'm sure over the years, DVD, you know, VHS, oh, yeah. that it's, it's turned quite a bit of a profit. Um, Rotten Tomatoes uh, has a 38% score, which I found... That's l- shocking. After going back and looking at all of the... Um, uh, reviews and stuff at the time, uh, critics were really hard on this movie, and I found that really depressing. They didn't get it. They, the, the, they just could not have understood what they were going for as do a movie. You, do you think, like, in the like in the, the scope of the 90s, you know, the flavor of what was going on, that this movie was just a little too much, It too kicked comical? it old school. I think that it took it back to, like, you know, it didn't take horror either meta- as like the screen movies did, or like overly serious. This is a fun movie. First and foremost, it's not scary. There's not one moment that anybody over the age of five would find this scary, but it's entertaining as fuck. It's a roller coaster. Uh, by the way, the uh, the young lady we just saw in the uh, you know the brown panties and who is in the bathtub currently. We're about Titty to see. Tally. Our, we're about to see our first set of uh, bodacious boobies. Her name is uh, Peggy Trentini. I believe I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly. She pray, plays the role of Amanda. And uh, she's in Ghoulies 4. That's that's pretty much her only other claim to fame. This uh, gooey gentleman we're seeing uh, approaching her is none other than the screen legend John Larroquette. He's uncredited in, in this movie. And I'm not exactly sure why um, uh, he plays the role of the slasher. It's probably some weird union thing they had. And, but I can't... I can't uh, understate how much of a fan of Night Court I was Fuck, growing up. Man, Night Court is awesome. He and, and just to, yes. to put it into perspective, uh, he was in 193 episodes of Night Court. I mean, that show was on the air for quite a while. We lost Harry Anderson a few years back, uh, maybe the past year or two. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was recent. Around, it was around the time that you know the the It remake 
came out and he had a big role in that. But anyways, but point being is that we're both big Night Court fans. One of the better shows of that time frame. Um, he he's also uh, has some really cool ties to the horror community and doing that he did the uh, narration for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I did not know that. I'm a 38 year old man, and I'm finding that out for the first time. How, how do you not know that? That's, that's I really don't know. Like I'm ashamed of myself, and I'll uh, beat myself with the reeds later. Well, the 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 way that it all came about was Toby Hooper, the director of Texas yes. Chainsaw Massacre, rest in peace, uh, wanted somebody to do a narration, sort of in the style of. Ah, oh, crap, what's his name? Orson Welles. Yeah. And I guess he asked him, like, hey, John, can you do an Orson Welles? And he's like, yeah, I can do Orson Welles. Well, they got there, and he doesn't sound anything like Orson Welles. But... It's super fucking effective. Uh, yeah. And he also did the, uh, the 2003, and he also did the, uh, the sequel to that, the, what, what, the prequel. The prequel. The prequel. I did, I am one of the few people that I will defend the 2003 remake only in the context of horror movies coming out at the time. For that time it came out, it is super relentless. It tries its damnedest to not only like jump scare you, but actually unsettle you. But it in no way, shape, or form can ever take the place of what I consider one of the most disturbing horror movies ever. Yeah. Fuck you, fat fuck Scott. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is terrific. Fuck you. He doesn't like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I think, I think he just watched it again, he and his wife, uh, because Joe Bob Briggs did it on the last drive-in on Shudder uh, for the like dinners of death back in around um, Thanksgiving. And maybe he's come around to it a little bit, but you know, he, he doesn't like Rosemary's Baby either, so fuck, fuck you, Scott. Your fuck you, ta- Scott. Your, your tastes suck. Uh, this movie has, uh, like I said, it has a Rotten Tomato score of 38%. It has an audience score of 64%, which I think is, if you kind of average them out, yes, that's that, probably a that's little... fair. That's a little more accurate. Uh, IMDb, it's a 6.7 out of 10. Um, For what they do and compare it to comparing it to cinema... Serious cinema, I can see that that's a that's a pretty good score, and that's about what I'd put it. And now this is the one that I found really interesting. Google users rank this movie at ninety three percent. Google Google users, I believe they take the common man, <laughs> not film critics, because they're it's always higher. Every movie that I've done with you has a Google score. That is about what it should be. 93% of people that watch this movie should be like, hey, this movie is fun as hell. No, it is not uh, The Seventh Seal or Citizen Kane, but it's a fun fucking roller coaster of a movie. Yeah, I, I think there's a big gap in between like what we perceive as like, <clears throat> you know, quote unquote, you know, cinema verte art and just a fun popcorn movie. And this movie's not trying to be, you know, you know, like like you said, the seventh no, seal. It's or, popcorn or, all the way. You know, bird of the crystal plumage. It, it's, it's the go- it's 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 gold standard popcorn horror movie. I, it's just a fun ride. Uh, some other little uh, tidbits about this movie, and I had to watch this a couple of times to be able to to get accurate counts on both of these uh, statistics, uh, just because some of the things happen so quickly. But the body count of this movie is <coughs> eleven. 12 if you count Wanda. Now, we don't see Wanda. Wanda is one of the, uh, she's the waitress who gets uh, uh, possessed by one of the demons. Yes. You don't expressly see her get killed, but it's sort of implied. Yes. I'll count it. We'll say 12. 12. But there's also the issue, do you count 
the demons as a part of the body count because you do count um, Billy Zane's character, the collector, but the other demons, you know, who you shoot their eyes out. I'm not sure if that counts towards the total. In, in my personal opinion, they're lackeys. They're you know brought about by his blood. They're part of him. They're just cannon fodder. I would not count them toward. Do you have a number? Uh, I, I, basically, it would just about double. Um, before we get a little further in it, you notice he just uh, he passed by a sign that says Wormwood. Uh, anybody that's up on their uh, biblical... I went um, to church school. Uh, histories. Well, do you know yes. what Wormwood? A star named Woodward, Wormwood. Yes, it's from the book of Revelations, and that's, that's a very on-the-nose... Uh, Tales from the Cook. Crypt was many things, but subtle it was not. No, and uh, that, going back to the comic book, I mean, it never was intended to be. Uh, these are morality stories. Um, I think that would be actually a good point to talk about the history of Tales from the Crypt from page to screen. Uh, Tales from the Crypt uh, ran from 1950 to 55. It was a bi-monthly comic, so like every other month. Um, it was released by EC Comics, who started out prior to that being uh, educational comics and they did stories from the bible and basically just like boy did they stray from the past <laughs> <laughs> yes they, yes they did once william gaines uh, took over from his father he renamed the company entertaining comics and that they were uh, tales from the crypt vault of horror uh, tales of shock and suspense yeah. or stuff like that yeah, yeah i mean they were they were very popular and um, in that time period, unfortunately, there was a gentleman by the name of Frederick Wortham. Oh, yeah, boo. I know where this is going. Yeah. He wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent that sort of implied that most crime was caused by teenagers because of comic books. Now, he asserted that, you know, Wonder Woman was uh, subverting, like, the role of a female because... You know, feminism and all that. And that's, no, that's a rabbit hole we could go down. That's actually not true. It's just about bondage as an insect. It's that's okay. true. That guy had a lot of wives or a lot of mistresses, and uh, it was an excuse for him to tie women up and, and whip them and all that. Good, good for him. Uh, a man a man ahead of his time. Um, but he also asserted that uh, Batman and Robin had a homosexual relationship, and this all comes from one... Um, a frame of not frame what's the word I'm looking for panel panel of a comic book from like probably the 40s like early mid 40s where Batman and Robin are in the same bed um times so, were different this was just po post World War Two or or right maybe right in the middle of World War Two they were sharing a bed it's not a big deal it wasn't gay until the ambiguously gay duo of SNL the greatest gay superhero team absolutely of all time. greatest. <laughs> Well, through all this, Frederick Wortham kind of uh, pushed uh, the government into into all this, and they had a Senate subcommittee on juvenile delinquency in 1954, and the fallout from all this was the creation of the censorship, the self-censorship board known as the Comic Code Authority. The, the thing about this is, like, basically it, we... Just like uh, in the 90s with uh, the ESRB, the Self-Censorship -Censor Board for video games, this prevented the government from getting directly involved, but this was a really, really 
restrictive thing. So comics uh, have always had this sort of viewpoint of them being for children. Well, this is why that is because you couldn't have uh, references to vampires or you know or, or like things like that. You you had to really tone them down. You couldn't have uh, you could have implied violence but not direct violence. So I mean, obviously, uh, eventually around the sixty late sixties and the seventies. With the Silver Age of comics, we got over some of these hurdles and finally the abolishment entirely of the Comics Code Authority, but it, it pretty much destroyed EC Comics and at this point they were really hitting on all cylinders because of all these horror comics they were doing that were super successful and I mean they did romance comics and stuff all. They know, covered too, the full spectrum. But. I mean, it killed all their horror comics for a long time. Now, Tales from the Crypt is like into its third volume now, so it, it has persisted and continued. But in in fifty five, you know, roughly about a year after this, you know, they were they were done. However, uh, William Gaines continued on, and he founded Mad Magazine, and that's uh, probably uh, what he's best known for. Um, I was a subscriber to Mad Magazine. Through most of like my elementary and middle school years. Oh, absolutely. And uh, about the time it became all color was when um, you know it it didn't last much longer after that. It's just it's a sad state because I know it it and cracked were you know our, one of our comedy of our really generation is, comes from. It's that. what informed it, and now like Mad Magazine, you only get like the holiday specials that are like for. $13 as you check out of the grocery store, which I will buy every year. I'll buy the Christmas one, and I believe, I can't remember if it's New Year's or Halloween that they have other issues. I usually don't get those. I'll buy the Christmas ones, but uh, they, it's it's all recycled material. It's not, pretty, very pretty little much, new. and I don't know. So to me, and, and this is being, being an old fart, there's something about it being in black and white that added something to it, and, and now that it's in color, I don't I don't know. That's maybe just Well, me the being... holiday editions do have the black and white segments. Oh. Like, so okay. like, it's still a lot in color. But anyway, let's move on with the this amazing movie. And comic book. Okay, well, um, this all led us uh, that I mean, there was sort of resurgence like in the seventies with you know the comics code becoming a little more lax, and Tales from the Crypt had always kind of been in the back of the minds of people. So it was adapted into a film in nineteen seventy two. It was released on March eighth. Um, it was an anthology film, had five segments. It was adapted from uh, Tales from the Crypt, Haunt of Fear, and Vault of Horror. Very successful. A year later, they had a sequel called The Vault of Horror, which was the secondary book, uh, released on March 30th, uh, 1973. Also, five segments, uh, Tales from the Crypt and uh, Shock and Suspense Stories. Um, these movies, if you go back and watch them now, they're probably going to come off a little hokey, but they're sort of like uh, 70s versions of... Um, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Yeah, I've never seen Vault of Horror. I know I'm aware of it. I just never saw. I've seen the original Tales from the Crypt. Though. I, I think I think they're both pretty good. Joan Collins is in the original Tales from the Crypt. That's probably the the selling point of it. You can find it on DVD pretty easily. They're both available uh, like in a two pack. But um, I've only seen Vault of Horror once. I didn't care for it uh, a crazy amount. But the original Tales from the Crypt has has charm yeah. to it. Um, so. One of my all-time favorite filmmakers, George Romero, wanted the movie Creepshow, which is, yet again, one of my all-time favorite films, was supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt movie in, uh, like, 81, I guess. 
But through whatever reason, he was unable to get the rights to it. So that's how Creepshow was born. And I could go down the rabbit hole about, you know, uh, there being, there's about to be a Creepshow revival on Shudder, and Tales from the Dark Side was supposed to be a Creepshow show, which should have been a Tales from the Crypt show, but that's, that's an entirely different discussion for a different day. Trust me, Creepshow is going to be on this podcast eventually. However... Eventually, we did get a full-fledged Tales from the Crypt series. It ran on HBO from June 10th, 1989, all the way to July 19th, 1996. Seven seasons, uh, 93 episodes. The first six seasons are all pretty good. The last season, I there. I like the cartoon episode. That's the final episode yeah. with Bobcat Goldthwait, which is like the Three Little Pigs. Three Little Pigs done. It's... T- Tales from the Crypt style. Yes, uh, that episode's pretty good. I think it's actually the only animated episode in the yeah, series it is. as well. Yeah, I, I do know that. Um, but yeah, a lot of those episodes were shot in England, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, maybe America, America. I don't know, but they just don't resonate with me. There, there, there are good episodes in the season. It's just as a whole, I don't find myself revisiting it quite a bit. So that brings us all the way... Actually, uh, hold on. Um, there was also an animated series. I just literally got to show that this past week on Tubi to my great-nephew, um, Joe, and we just had so much fun with it. He's, he's I love him to death, but he can get scared. He loves Michael Myers, terrified of Jason Voorhees, but he wanted the cartoon show, and I'm like, hey, this is something I grew up on. He loved it. That's that, that's terrific because I remember this show existing, but I never ever saw it at the time. Um, it ran from September eighteenth, nineteen ninety three, to December fourth, nineteen ninety nine, which makes you think like, well, this show was on the air for quite a while. Actually, no, it only ran for three seasons with a total of thirty nine episodes, but there was a five year gap in between season two and season three. Um, there was a title change as well. I think it was like the new Tales from the Crypt Keeper yeah. for that final season. But, you know, it it was on CBS and like in Canada on syndication. And it, it probably didn't it's reach people. harmless fun for little kids who you, if you might want to introduce them to horror slowly. It's it's fun. It's not great. It's, it's no uh, real Ghostbusters, but... I still contend the first season uh, being the uh, network episodes and the syndicated episodes of the first season of Real Ghostbusters is the best horror animated thing uh, ever. You will find no argument from me, sir. There's some terrific episodes, especially uh, when dealing with like H.P. Lovecraft. and, and I like and, the uh, Sam Hain character. That's, that's a terrific... Ter- uh, well, I'll, we're going to get derailed because I can talk we're about gonna Ghostbusters. We're going to get This is Tales from the Crypt, not Ghostbusters. Anyways, like this all led us... To where we are right now in 1995 with the creation of Demon Knight. So, Fat Tony, if you would be so bold as to give us a descriptor of what this movie is all about. Now, I am quoting directly from the back of the DVD case. A mysterious drifter known as Breaker, William Sadler, love him, possesses the last of seven ancient keys that hold the power to stop the forces of darkness and protect all humanity from the ultimate evil which is Billy Zane for some reason. <laughs> but the human race is safe only so long as Breaker can evade the demonic collector, again, Billy Zane, who has gathered the other six keys. In his obsessive quest for the key, the collector rallies an army of ghastly cadavers against Breaker and the inhabitants of a rundown hotel. Armed with automatic weapons, sacred blood, and sadistic humor, Breaker and the strong-willed 
Geraldine, Jada Pinkett Smith, more on her later. Oh, must we'll lead, a lot more on her. <laughs> must lead the others, other guests in a gruesome battle against the Collector and his evil horde of ghouls. This is actually, I wanted to point this out just real quickly. As Brandon said, most of the Tales from the Crypt were morality tales. And this was a little bit of a departure. This is an adventure story. That's that's one thing I find unique about this movie. It still fits the tone and vibe with the way they directed it, cast it, fiddled it out. But it's not a morality tale. There's no cheating husband or wife killing their spouse and coming back from the dead. No, this is an, a legit good versus evil story. And that is one thing that makes it always stick out to me. You're absolutely correct. Um, and we do have some questions why this movie ended up in the direction that it did. We'll get to those later on. However, the first uh, departure I want to take, because um, he, he only basically bookends the movie, but that's the Crypt Keeper himself. John Kassir, yet again, thank you very much for giving us that audio intro. I'm still giddy over this. and, and fact, I, I had mean, to read the text. When, when Brandon told me about this, I had to read it twice. I'm like, did he just say what I think he said? And I, like, fanboyed out to an, an embarrassing degree. Uh, he still hasn't heard it. Actually, I, to this point, I'm the only person who has heard it other than John. <clears throat> um, so I'm really excited. I'm a lot get- bigger than he is. If he doesn't play <laughs> it for me before I leave today, I'm going to hurt him. Well, um, if I end up in the hospital, um, we'll start a GoFundMe or something, and maybe maybe some of our dedicated fans will uh, pay for my uh, my um, health care. Um, John Kassir, let's give him the rundown, because I, I think that he is the secret ingredient that makes all of this work. Like, if you chopped off the beginning and the end, this movie would probably still be okay. It would be good, but you need that that point of reference uh, wraparound. To put tell- you in the right frame of mind yeah. for what you're going to be watching. Plus the, the Danny Elfman uh, music at oh, the very yes, end. Absolutely. The tracking shot through the house. I mean, you, you cannot deny how influential and how impactful it is. John Kazir started out as a stand-up comedian and... He was on Star, Search, uh, Star Search. A lot of people uh, our age remember Star Search because it was basically the equivalent of like American Idol or Google it, kids. The Voice, you damn kind of, millennials. <laughs> exactly. Um, he won Star Search in I want to say like 1985. Do you know who he defeated? No, I'm dying to know now. He defeated uh, Sinbad, as he should. Now, Sinbad uh, is sort of a relic of our time. He's become a little more prominent in the past couple of years because of the whole Mandela effect conspiracy. I don't remember a genie movie with him, but I do remember Baron Steen Bears, not Baron Stain Bears. Uh, we, we won't get into that. That's too an, much. We, we could do an entire episode on... Um, we're going to have spin-off podcasts. <laughs> By the way, we're seeing another set of tits right here. And... Um, mm. And nipple clamp electrodes, you know, you don't get that a lot in Main Street movies. I think it <laughs> needs true. to be represented more. <laughs> That's true. More representation for sexual kinks in movies. Exactly. <laughs> Where's my two girls, one cup, directed by Wes Pollant? <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, sorry. Did I give the titty tally for this movie? You have not given the titty tally yet. Well, let's let's do that real quick because um, it, it was really hard for me to be able to entirely pinpoint this down because uh, later it's on, hard to write with one hand. 
but it's either 10 or 11. Now, feel, feel free to go in there and count for yourself, because there's the lady in the prologue, there's Cordelia, the, the prostitute, who's uh, shocking uh, Thomas Hayden Church's nipples. You see her breast uh, momentarily. And then there's nine, eight or nine ladies uh, beyond that uh, in a scene with uh, Dick Miller. Uh, but yeah, we have Hail Dick of, Miller. Hail Dick Miller. He's no longer with us. All right, back to uh, t- uh, John Kazir. Obviously, he's the voice of the Crypt Keeper. That's his bread and butter. It's the thing that most people would know him for. Uh, he was in 64 episodes of First and Ten. Sort of a forgotten uh, show about football. Uh, kind of like Major League or Necessary Roughness. I remember it. I, know, I remember the show you're talking about. I didn't watch it regularly, but I know what you're talking about. Now, beyond that, he's sort of become more known for voices and obviously has a really good talent for such things. Um, he had a continuing role as Buster Bunny on Tiny Toon Adventures. I that. But there, he's not the original Buster Bunny. He's he's basically like, hey, when this guy's available, we, we get him. Yes, I, now, I did. in the, uh, the made-for-TV movie, he did it, and uh, a few episodes here or there. Uh, he had a cameo in uh, Casper as the Crypt Keeper. Uh, he was in Pocahontas, Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen. Ten episodes of Earthworm Jim. Uh, he was the Adam in the original 1997 Justice League, which I don't believe was officially released. I think it was shot as a pilot. Um, it's terrible. I love Lost Media and So Bad It's Good Stuff. Um and it still may be better than the actual Justice League movie that we got. Okay, I'm, I'm real quickly, 30-second, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was The whole DCEU was flawed from the beginning, and they tried to they tried to course-correct mid-chip. It's not the worst thing ever. Uh, yeah, I think they've uh, put Still things... better than Batman v Superman. Uh, Dude, I oh, saw no, no, Shazam I recently... Amazing. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard nothing but good things. Uh, Wonder Woman was okay, so I think they're they're heading in the right direction. I'm a comic book fan, so that's that's good news for me. So I'm happy for them, and let's get uh, Zack Snyder out of out of the picture. Uh, he was in 13 episodes of Eat the Cat, 22 episodes of Team Knight Rider, which I didn't even know existed. I did not know until you said the, that word that, that yeah, existed. I, evidently, there have been like constant tr- uh, attempts to revive Knight Rider over the years, and there's only one, and that's with goddamn Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. Uh, he was in uh, the Three Stooges TV biopic as Shemp Howard. I didn't know that. That's a terrific movie. Really is good. Um, Mel Gibson produced that, and despite what you may feel about Mel Gibson as a human being, the guy is a terrific filmmaker, a really good actor, and I'm glad he produced this because I know uh, from discussions that you've had, you and I have had over the years, that Three Stooges means a lot to us. It's, it's some of the bedrock, the foundation of my whole pop culture sense, sense of humor. Childhood is based on. Now, where we may have a uh, hurdle in the road of uh, understanding or agreement would be my favorite stooge is Shimp. And I know you're probably more on the curly I'm curly more side. on the curly spectrum, but Shimp is the only other... Three stooges that I will consider a true stooge. I don't consider Curly Joe. I'm sorry. Just none of the others. Shemp has some great moments. Curly has some great. It was tragic what happened to him. It's tragic what happened to both of them. Everything in the... 
You know, that's why I wish they'd make an Abbott and Costello movie, because it'd be pretty laid back, relaxed, no major <laughs> tragedies. But, uh, like, honestly, like, yeah, we can... Okay, we're getting to the birth of the demons now, which, due to budgetary concerns, when they first gave the budget for this movie, the scriptwriters just basically made them guys like Billy Zane, like in, but looking like from the Matrix, before the Matrix, leather jacket, sunglasses, and they're like, no, you cannot do a Tales from the Crypt movie like this, we've got to have monsters, so they gave them a little extra money, and they went back. And did it correctly. Yeah, the, these are pretty damn good. Considering that we're in the 90s, we're in that sort of like that pivot point from conventional effects to the early use of CGI. I'm really glad this is all practical old effects. effects. They got a lot of skinny dancers. There's a lot of details that I can see now like that I actually didn't really pay attention to before, like the piercings. The top nods. It's mostly prosthetics and a weird suit they put the like these skinny people in, but it works like gangbusters. Yeah, I, I, I think the the, the special effects was always pretty good in uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, another thing that I'd like to point out is how good the puppetry work on the um, the Crypt Keeper always was. He- yeah, you. I mean, to me, he's still a person in my in the the, the heart of my childhood. That's a real being, not just a puppet controlled by animatronics and latex and shit. Well, it's it's the dual combination of the um, the puppet, which was built by Kevin Yeager, yes. legendary effects man, and of course the voice of John Kazir. Do you know where the eyes of the Crypt Keeper came from? I do not. I'm excited. All now. right. Well, Kevin Yeager, around this same time, right before they uh, started uh, the TV show, not the same time as yes. Demon Knight, but the, of the TV show Tales from the Crypt. Um, he had just done Child's Play. The eyes of the Crypt Keeper are the exact same eyes from Chucky. That, that is all. fucking amazing. And if you if you look at it at the end of the movie, make a point and like it's so obvious that they're the same eyes. That is that that is great. I've always hated Kevin Yeager for being married to one of my horror icon dream girls, Heather Langenkamp. Are they still really? Are I don't know still? if they're still married, but they were. Yeah. And, like, I used to have such a crush on her. Oh. I love you, Nancy. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna take a, a couple of minutes to jack off in the corner because I'm thinking about her hair. I don't know what it is, but her hair in the first movie when she gets that white streak. I oh, so fucking We're hot. not going to do it in the corner. We're going to do it right here by the microphone where everybody can hear. Back to back so it's not gay. Yeah. We don't wanna, not that there's anything wrong with that. No, you can blow dogs for all I care. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me. Um... I hope uh, you do. John Kazir was inducted into the Horror Host Hall of Fame in 2004. Well-deserved. Hell yeah! Well-deserved. Now, I didn't know this until I was doing um, research for this, but he was married to Julie Benz up until 2007. Uh, Julie Benz is best known for her role in Dexter as Rita, the wife of Dexter. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, good for you, John. Um, Hell yeah. You um, go, buddy. I, no, I don't want to cast dispersions upon her. However, if you look at this, about the time that Dexter was really getting going is about the time they got divorced. And uh, she got the boob job. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, did he not make you laugh she anymore? Left Dexter for that shitty superhero family show on the regular networks. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to trash talk anybody too hard. <laughs> Julie Julie Ben's very attractive, and her death on Dexter did break my heart and take my breath away. Oh yeah, man, 
Right, would you be in favor of a Dexter revival? Because I, I feel, for me personally, I feel like it left I'm gonna, a bad I, taste in my mouth. I'm going to admit something right now. I have not watched the last two episodes because I know that I'm probably not going to like what I see. And I've, I've held off and I probably will watch it this holiday weekend. I actually was talking about that with Sarah. Um, I still haven't finished it. I, so far, season eight had like three good episodes and that's it. I... Overall, I like season eight, but it, it it left a bad taste in my mouth, and they left it purposely open if they wanted to continue on. I would have been better. If There's no had been. better narrator for a serial killer show than Michael C. Hall. Is Michael right? C. Hall, yes. Like his narration is great, but anytime they try to go back and fix some mistakes of the past, most people have something to bitch about. Just let it go. Uh, it still had four of the best seasons of any TV show ever. I it, it definitely <coughs> kept me um, on my toes for quite a while. But I'll tell you what else is keeping me on my toes, and that is the performance of Billy Zane as the Collector. Aside from John Gazeer, I think he is the thing that absolutely makes this movie work. He's so fucking good. Yeah, it's not that he's even trying to be scary. It's... A frustrated, annoyed person. It's funny. It's charming. You like the guy. He, To me, he's the one thing, aside from the Crypt Keeper, that makes it feel like a Tales from the Crypt story. Absolutely. Because he, he's playing the absurdity and the ridiculousness of it. He's very calm, cool, and like annoyed by the situation he's Weird side note, this is the first movie he appeared in with a shaved head. I did not he know He was that. in Europe doing something. He'd been losing his hair... A friend of his said, you know, just shave it off. Just own it. Just shave it. And he did and showed up to set. And they're like, well, do you want me to wear a wig? We'll do fittings. They're like, no, we love this. Um, we have quite a few questions about Billy Zane, and we'll get to those towards the end of the podcast. But I want to give a, a rundown of this guy's career, and we're going to talk a little bit about you know, his impact and... and Yes, we both probably do him. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So good. All right. He was in Back to the Future 1 and 2. He was a member of Biff's, uh, you know, his lackeys. Uh, He was in Critters, um, which is a terrific movie, the first one. Um, He was in Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman and Sam Neill. So not a movie that a lot of people remember, but just showing that he's worked with um, some really credible actors and actresses. He was also in Going Overboard with Adam Sandler, which... Uh, oh my uh, God, I remember that now. Jesus, you're yeah. right. <laughs> so he's ran the gamut of like quality and inequality uh, of film. Um, he was in five episodes of Twin Peaks. Uh, he was in the second season, which, let's just be honest, is bookended by some really good stuff, and then there's some stuff in the middle that is just dog shit. Twin Peaks is probably like my third favorite show of all time. It's the namesake of this podcast. Billy Zane was a nice uh, addition to the cast. He gave um, uh, Audrey something to do. Um, so I, I don't I don't discount his uh, contribution. What, what contributions what he brought to the series, but ultimately to the grand scheme of things, he's not really important. Brandon's still going to hit me. I still haven't watched the last four episodes of the new tw- uh, Twin Peaks either. Yeah, I'm I'm like I'm I'm on the verge of starting my sixth viewing. Um, every time I watch it, I gain more insight. I actually took notes the last time. Just so I'll I watch it straight. when he watches the remake of Evil Dead. Well, well you get me 1,500 people by June, and we'll, we'll get to talking. you got two months left. <laughs> I'm trying 
tried. That's a, that's another that's another story altogether. Um, he was in Sniper with Tom Berenger, which is a really that's good a movie. As is adventure movie in the nineties. As is Tombstone, which is probably <sighs> one or two of the best. Uh, it's like my second favorite western after uh, Fistful of Dollars. With Clint Eastwood, great movie. Did you ever see Silence of the Hams? I did. I love Don. Is that the one with Don Deluise? Don Deloise, Deloise, yes. John Aston. Um, <laughs> his name in that movie is Joe D. Foster. Yeah, and there it's it's just your, your typical like spoof movie, and um, but it was before we got into like the scary movie, epic movie, like that whole string. The of- first two scary movies were okay. But it was before the complete epic movie is where the first movie I sat through and I sat through the entire movie and I would just matter and matter and matter. You know, I, I love spoof movies, uh, Top Secret, Airplane, uh, the Naked Gun movies, but there is a secret sauce to how to make all that work. And for me, I was Silence of the Lambs or Silence of the Hams is not the best example no. of that, but it was right before the total bastardization like, of it. Exactly. I, I don't own that movie um, because it's impossible to find out. I don't know if it's ever been released on DVD, but we definitely... I need to track that down. Obviously, he was in The Phantom, which uh, you and I talked about before we recorded yes, this. Yes, my late father, bless his heart, decided, hey, let's go see this one day, not knowing that I was high out of my skull when we saw it, and it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Now, on a rewatch later on when it came on home video, I'm like, what the hell? But, you know, he's good in it. He, he's really good in it. Yeah. Um, he always seems to end up in these roles where... Uh, he's an asshole or the antagonist. It was kind of different to see him in the role of the protagonist. But in Titanic, he assumed his role as probably the dick of all dicks. I have to say that there is rumor that he heard that James Cameron cast him in that movie because of this role in, in Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. That wouldn't surprise me because I know that James Cameron and Joel Silver and some of those, the producers yeah, of this movie like, and the, t- the TV series were t- Billy Zane doesn't know it for certain, but he has heard that. And he says it's probably correct. Well, I, I am not a fan of Titanic. I think it is an overblown piece of shit. However, I will say the best part of Titanic is Billy Zane. I'm going to have to disagree a little bit. I like Kate Winslet's tits at the time. I had to go see this movie <laughs> nine times in the theater when it came out. So I'd wait on titties and Leo DiCaprio dying. It took me a decade to forgive him for that movie. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I'll still I'll still assert that Billy Zane is the best part of the movie, but I, I have not seen it nine times. I've seen it maybe twice. Um, I, in the later years, um, he had a lot of like high profile cameos. He was in Zoolander one and two. He's in Holmes and Watson, which I still haven't seen. It I haven't got, either. He got trashed by critics, but I am a Will Ferrell apologist. I will probably enjoy it to a, at least a certain level to where I like. Oh yeah, I should should have seen this. You know, I, I'll. And this is just me kind of uh, shooting the dark here, but I'll probably enjoy it if nothing else and just as background noise. I like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley is a terrific actor. If it's not up to snuff, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not their, it's like their D list un- material is probably better than most other comedians' A list material. Your mom's calling you. <laughs> my mom is calling, but if you'll notice, you my phone on, is you- on silent. 
as Brandon did before we started recording, I'm like, let's make sure our phones are on silent. He's like, oh, I'm pretty sure mine is. And it wasn't. You should have you should have accepted that call, and then I could have talked talk sexy to her. I, yeah, but it'd be just weird. You know, I'd have a heart on the rest of the podcast. <laughs> wow. Not because he's talking to my mom. It's just his sexy talk is really sexy. Yeah, I'm, that's, that's what I'm known for. I'm known for two things, podcast and sexy talk. And if it's three things, it's fucking the mothers of people he knows. Oh yeah, that's that's a uh, I'm a Olympic gold medalist in motherfucking Brandon motherfucking Lane. <laughs> um, Billy uh, is the younger brother of Lisa Zane, who uh, has had a, a fairly decent career. Freddy's herself. dead. She's in Freddy's Dead. Plays Freddy Krueger's daughter. Uh, she's also in a movie called The Nurse, which was sort of a cult classic I don't horror think I've film. Seen that one. Uh, he was originally cast in Dirty Dancing in the role of Patrick Swayze until they realized he can't dance. That's that's a pretty key uh, weakness to have in a movie called Dirty Dancing. And for whatever you think of Patrick Swayze, the motherfucker could dance. He even did another movie right before his death all about like modern dance. So I, I wasn't aware of that. But with yeah, Nev we... Campbell, it's super bad. Don't ever watch it. But oh, don't worry, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with Patrick Swayze. Fucking Roadhouse is a terrific... Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Um, Billy Zane won the Best Actor in 2000 at the B-Movie Film Festival. And we'll get to a question. We have a question about like why he never really propelled himself. But I want to say, uh, from my point of view, Billy Zane has, has always kind of been there. And maybe he's underappreciated, but I just want to state right now that Billy Zane is terrific, and he's the highlight of this. This movie is for the me. perfect time to talk about this right now. We're in the movie app. Billy Zane is doing the demonic seduction of like the the hotel whore kind of person, which is named Cordelia. Cordelia, and his narration over this whole segment. Um, I watched this with my girlfriend at the time, in. Uh, she was like, yeah, I'd totally leave him for you. It's just the way he's talking about how she's beautiful and everything. This is like, it's it's these moments in the movie where he shines, whether he's being soft, seductive, romantic, or party time with Uncle Willie and the kitties <laughs> and everything. We'll get to that, and I will stop whatever we're talking about. I think that may be my favorite part of the about, movie. Like, he... He runs the gamut in this movie, and like, he, he, like Brandon said, he, I think his contribution to the movie is equal to the Crypt Keepers in this to make it a Tales from the Crypt movie. And toward the end, I'll be like, you know, I'll mention what the other options for this movie were and how this was the perfect fucking choice. Um, while we're on the subject, uh, Cordelia is played by, uh, I'm probably going to butcher her name, Brenda Backy or Bakke? No, that's how you say it, Backy. Backy. Uh, she was in Death Spa with Ken Free from Dawn of the Dead. Uh, Death Spa was sort of a forgotten movie, and it has come more into prominence. Is there like killer exercise? Yes. Yeah, okay, I have yeah. seen that. It's, it's so bad, it's good. Um, she's in Hot Shots Part 2. Yeah. She's under Siege 2, and in L.A. Confidential, which is a terrific yeah, film as well. amazing movie. The, uh, the gentleman who is in the room with her right now that they're having a conversation, do you happen to know his name? John... I almost said, uh, okay, before he shames me for not knowing the name, I will say this man's wife showed up to set on this day to make sure he didn't enjoy the kiss too much. Well, that man 
And Roger question, Rabbit's voice. Yes, is Charles Fleischer. Charles. He plays the role of Wally, a disgruntled, fired mail carrier. Now, his... Big theme in the 90s with lots of, like, post office shootings, so they kind of ran with it here. Yeah, evidently they sort of, uh, they were going to go more full tilt with it, and they kind of backed off on it uh, because they didn't want to push... Because they're not fucking monsters, you know. <laughs> they they wanted to be fun, not like, Jesus Christ, this is depressing, horrible. But, but later on, they do find his, the stash of, like, the, because he was fired because uh, the mail, he like mail disappeared, and they yeah. find his you know stacks of mail, and they find a whole horde of like grenades and guns. Uh, and he saves the help save the world. So good for you. Yes, I agree. Um, he was up for the role of the crypt keeper. He and Michael Winslow from they both have good voice work. I mean, and. John Kassir evidently just impressed them so much that he was the only choice they could ever go with. But they always kept Charles Fleischer in the back of their head, like, hey, we're going to use you one day. And this was the perfect opportunity. And I think he plays his role pretty well. This sort of the the mild-mannered... Lonely, outsider guy. Who, you know, wants to be the white knight for Cordelia, the prostitute who has uh, become... Who ripped his fucking head off, you know. (laughs) That's what women do to you, man. That's true. That's true. That's 100% fact. It's in the Bible. It's it's, it's science. Um, he was in Night Shift. Uh, he was in four episodes of Laverne and Shirley. He's the doctor in Nightmare on Elm Street. A lot of people yep, forget that. I do. I absolutely remember that because I've seen that movie um, a bajillion times. But, oh, but right here is one of my favorite gore effects of the whole movie. They rip a, when the owner of the hotel gets her ha- arm ripped off. I believe her name is CCH Pounder. Yes, which is a, the the weirdest. That's name. The weirdest name, and that's I, I watched a documentary on this and like. They called her something else, but they do kept refer- keep referring to CCH Pounder, CCH Pounder. Yeah, she plays the role of Irene. She's had a really, really impressive uh, role, like history of like a character actress. Uh, she was in all that jazz. Uh, she was in Psycho 4, which is a really underrated movie. And probably, it's better than three. It's probably the second best movie that um, Mick Garris directed. And I, I am not a fan of Mick Garris. He did a lot of shitty adaptations of uh, Stephen King movies. But I respect Mick Garris because he is the creator of Masters of Horror, which is literally right to the left it's of us. sitting right beside me. I'm touching it right now. And... That show was terrific. It's unfortunate the second uh, season didn't do as well. It was rebooted as Fear Itself, which was an inferior show on network television. I didn't know that was a and reboot no, of it. Nobody, nobody watched that show. Um, she's in Benny and June, RoboCop 3, which is a terrible movie, even though I love RoboCop. And he fights robot ninjas and flies! <laughs> no, that's horrible. I hate it. I'm not going to defend that at all. Uh, she's in Face Off, which is a... Pretty good John Woo movie. I mean, it's, it's a it's, pretty good John Woo movie, but for Nick Cage and John Travolta, it's one of my favorite movies they've either one done because it, they have so much fun. With they it. they both get to overact their ass, and that's what they're movie. great at. Um, she is in End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in Kindergarten Cop, which was directed by Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters. So you thought we forgot, bitch? Yeah, we got it. Yeah, Ghostbusters. You just got busted. <laughs> <laughs> um. She was in nine episodes of the Justice League Unlimited. She plays the role of Amanda Waller, who is the the person who's in charge of basically yeah. the Suicide Squad. 
Um, I think she would actually would have been terrific in the actual film adaptation, but uh, that age might have like knocked her out. I, mean, I don't care about that. An old, an, an old woman. Like, I mean, she. I mean, she it's, asserts it's authority. An age, yeah, she does assert authority. I'll give her that. She's in eighty nine episodes of the Shield. Now, you have to go back to, to Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks to me is like the genesis of like cinematic television. However, we had this like long dormant period where like basically the only cinematic television we were getting was like The Shield, uh, or oh, I'm sorry, The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Didn't on, The Shield predate The Sopranos? Well, hold on. Okay. Where you're getting The Sopranos like on like cable, like uh, yeah. subscription cable. Subscription. However, The Shield on network television, which is still it was still cable, but yeah. FX was an extension of that. It really motivated like people to step up their game. It's I, the dawn of the golden age I, of television. The Shield is terrific. It's one of those shows that you can watch all the way through. It, it stays. It, it knew when to leave. It didn't get stale. And like I grew up in you know in the late eighties and early nineties, really liking that show, The Commission. And then having seen <laughs> having seen the, boy, what a one eighty! Wow, Vic Mackey, one of the best <laughs> screen villain or. Uh, anti-heroes up yeah. until Walter White uh, Breaking Bad, which I will say, even though it's not my favorite show of all time, I think... Best anti-hero it, it, TV. I think Breaking Bad may be the best show of TV of all time. Because it's, it's so well-written, it's so well-acted. It's perfect. It's, it's I can, perfect. but no argument here. It Sometimes ended perfectly we'll twice. It ended perfectly twice. She is in... Avatar, and supposed to be in all of its sequels, we've spoken at length about James Cameron and my love-hate relationship with him. I didn't like Avatar, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. If anybody's I gonna... bet you while you were watching Avatar, you kind of it kind of slipped your mind you were watching a basically CGI movie, though. I don't like the movie great. I mean, it was a, just an okay movie, but I, there were... Most of the movie, I forgot that everything I'm watching, it's a, it's a, it's one step above a Pixar movie. It's CGI. That's all I'll say. We'll and, move on to, and, and maybe if the story had been not more dynamic, from Gully or Pocahontas, yeah, exactly. I agree. That's that's my problem. But he raises the bar of anything he does, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to give him a chance in these sequels. Uh, she's in um, 29 episodes of Warehouse 13, which is a really popular um, sci-fi channel show. Uh, 14 episodes of Son of, Sons of Anarchy. I've never finished the show. It's I've heard fucking it's, amazing. I've heard it's pretty good, so it's, it's on the docket. Um, 114 episodes of NCIS New Orleans. I'm a Law & Order SVU guy. i just never been able to get into it. SVU for life! <laughs> and uh, she's going to be in the upcoming... Godzilla, King of All Monsters. Uh, that's a sad thing in my house that, like, I've got, I finally got my nephew into Godzilla. He watched, great nephew, he's five years old. He watched the entire new Godzilla, Gareth Edwards Godzilla. You know, he kind of, he sat through the first and then, like, lost his freaking mind at the end. I'm the only, me and him are going to be the only ones in my whole household that go see the new one. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but see me, like, I, I think that, like, the first movie, lacked in story, but like when it hit on all it cylinders, it. it really did deliver. This movie looks like it's just going to be all-out monster chaos. So, looking forward to that. Let's talk about William yes. Sadler. William Sadler. Like, before you go into his, his whole history, he has... 
uh, he's been in so much shit I love. Like, I love that actor. And he's never been, like, a major A-lister. But he is one of my favorite character actors of all time. You know, up until watching this, I kind of had forgot how many movies he's in that I love. So many. So let's let's give the breakdown. Um, he's in Project X with Matt, Matthew Broderick, which is a movie I loved growing oh, up. It broke my heart. Um, he's in K-9 with Jim Belushi, which is another movie I really liked. Uh, Hard to Kill, Steven Seagal. Yeah. Die Hard 2, which is one of the movies he's better known for. Oh, yeah. And even though, like, of the original three, Die Hard 2 is my least favorite, it is still light years above the last couple of Die Hard movies. Um, so I'll, I'll give Die Hard 2 a seal of approval okay. and a thumbs up. Okay. So, like, the first three are... It's one, three, two, and then I won't even rank the other two in the name of those. Exactly. I didn't hate four, but it does not deserve to be spoken it's of in the PG same breath. It's a PG-13 movie. Die Hard has to be rated R. What William Sadler is probably best known for, and a role that he is about to undertake once again, is the role of death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <sighs> Yeah, I can't wait. So the the news just came out. They're they're definitely doing Bill and Ted three, which is uh, tentatively titled Bill and Ted Face the Music. He'll be re- uh, reprising his role as Death. Now, I didn't see the first movie in theaters. I did see the second one, and for the longest time, I thought of it as an inferior movie. My view on that has changed drastically over the years. Where now I prefer the second movie to the first movie. Okay. I might be in the man. No, minority. no, I'm not going to argue. That's a valid point. But I'm slightly older than Brandon, or I saw both movies in the theater, and to me, they have always kind of ranked equal. If I want a more outlandish one, I go to two. If I want just more funny, I go to one. But never at any point in my life has one been above the other. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, he's also in Freaked, which uh, Alex Winter. One of the greatest fucking comedies of all fucking time. Nobody ever talks about Freaked. Freaked is, uh, I, I own it on DVD. It's never been released on Blu-ray except in, like, Europe. Um, the DVD copy goes for, like, 60 to a 100 bucks on eBay. So I'm really glad I got it when I did. However, I've stated this before, it does have some issues uh, sound quality-wise. Um, so I'm looking for a Blu-ray release. Get that shit on the docket. Um, William Sadler, back to him. Uh, he's done so much. He was in 61 episodes of Roswell. He was in Kenzie, The Mist, Iron Man 3, as the president. Um, Machete Kills, he's terrific in that. Um, Shawshank Redemption, you can't deny, one of the best movies of all time. He's just one of those actors that, like, never gives a bad performance. Ever. And I really feel like he, he could have been an A-list, A-list actor, but he's so good in these character actor roles that you kind of understand why he's there, but it's still sad at the same time. Uh, on screen right now, the uh, the gentleman who's work uh, working, who's acting with Sadler, giving the blood in the key. Uh, he's his character name is Dickerson, and uh, named after the uh, the director Ernest Dickerson, which is a little nice little in joke. But uh, he's been in a couple of things. I'm scrolling through my my notes. He, also in Die Hard Two, uh, Demolition oh, Man, and Clerks Two. Uh, also, earlier, um, we saw the the first person to have the key, 
or at least the first person to have the key in that we see on screen is uh, Tony Salome, or Salome, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but he plays the character of Sirach. He's the the thief at Jesus' yes. cross who puts the blood in the cross that prevents the demons from being able to touch it. Uh, he was in UHF and Joe versus the Volcano. However, his uh, biggest claim to fame is that he's the location manager on several big movies. He did Tremors, Freaked as well, it all comes full circle. It's Pat the movie, which is... We uh, won't go into yeah. 36 episodes of 24 and 85 episodes in CIS Los Angeles. So I do want to say, like, one way he's taking the blood of Christ in this cross, and we are recording this currently on Easter weekend. So never say that we don't give to you people, the fans, you know. Absolutely. We do. So um, right now, it's all, it's almost like right now William Sadler's giving one of the best performances in the movie. He's explaining the shit. Um this God, I love this movie so much. There's really no word. Let's talk about. Uh, I'll talk about while you go pee. Oh, I, I said I was going <laughs> to sneak out to go pee, but he just called me on it. Um, Thomas Hayden Church, who is become kind of back in vogue over the past few years. Um, he plays the character of Roach. He's other than Billy Zane. He's the other antagonist of the film. You know, very selfish, wanting to get out of this situation at all cost. So he's kind of plotting this whole thing about giving the key to the demons, which of course he eventually does to unfortunate circumstances. Um, he was in Tombstone. He was in 123 episodes of Wings, which is probably what he's best known for across the board. Great show, Tony Shalhoub. I love it. Uh, 46 episodes of uh, Ned and Stacy, which was the other show he's kind of known for. Uh, Rom-com, sitcom, not really my thing. Uh, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. He was in Serial Killing for Dummies, which is super underrated. I would highly recommend any of you go out there and check it out. Uh, He was in the movie Sideways, which kind of reinvigorated his career. Now, he had all but retired from acting. He'd done pretty well because of Wings, but he was convinced to do Sideways, and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 2005 because of that. So, obviously, it worked out, and he's continued to work since then. Uh, He was in Idiocracy, uh, Spider-Man 3, and I know that's a very polarizing movie, and overall, I will give it a thumbs down, but he's really terrific in it, and had it just focused on him being the villain in that movie, I think the movie would have been overall pretty decent. It's only a thumbs down compared to the other two masterpieces. It's not a bad movie. Get I, over the emo dance scene, people. I I I personally don't like the first Spider Man movie. I think it's okay. Spider Man two is it was terrific. A masterpiece. It's it's really good. Do I think it's a great Spider Man movie? Eh, probably not, but it's a great movie overall. Um and he's also in the reboot of Hellboy, which is kind of getting raked over the coals right now. I haven't seen it. Me neither. Um, I, I plan on seeing it eventually. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters. Um, but there were a lot of production issues and uh, clashes of uh, Studios style. do not need to interfere in movies. It never works out. The biggest successes in any kind of genre cinema are when the studio lets whatever filmmaker... W- do what they want to do. That's that's, that's an, the key. That's an interesting point, and we'll, I want to talk this about. This is good. I mean, that applies to this movie as well. I want to talk about the guy who directed this movie, and then we're going to move into Jada Pinkett because I know we have a lot to talk about. Yes, concerning her. 
Um, this movie was directed by Ernest R. Dickinson. Now, he made a lot of movies with black-centric cast. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't want to center myself as being, you know, racist or anything. Um, but he was an interesting choice for this movie, uh, just because of the movies he had made prior to this. Uh, he did Juice with Tupac. He also wrote the screenplay for that. Uh, he did Surviving the Game with IT, Ice-T. I love that movie. Fucking love that. John C. McGinley, um... Gary Busey, terrific film. I even think that uh, Ice-T gives a pretty good performance in that movie, which probably led to him getting the role on one or SVU. I'm interrupting Brandon here to point out again, yet another time that Billy Zane kills it, trying to do the whole seduction of Jerry Lynn. Possession of Jerry Lynn, of Jaden Pinkett Smith. I just want to point out that again, this, this, He's so fucking good. This anyway, may, this by the way, I know we're gonna get into this a little later, but this may be the only point in the movie where I think she gives a halfway decent. Yeah, performance. she's the only one acting. Has he's a uh, spoiler alert? That's our big problem. Everybody else seems so natural. She's acting. Um, Ernest Dickinson also uh, Dickerson directed Bulletproof with Adam Sandler, which is the first movie I ever saw on pay per view. I really, like, I really honestly, unironically love that movie. It has some of the funniest scenes in an Adam movie. <laughs> and, like, the escape scene. Uh, he directed Bones with Snoop Dogg. Good uh, movie, yeah. It's it it okay. Uh, Never Die Alone with DMX. Never saw it. Uh, here's what I didn't know going into this. Uh, he directed the Masters of Horror episode, The V Word, which is sort of a deconstruction of vampirism. It's got Michael Ironside in it. Terrific, terrific episode. Um, he did nine episodes of Dexter. Wasn't aware of that as well. Didn't know that. And more recently, he did, he's done 11 episodes of The Walking Dead. Uh, he's also worked as a cinema, cinematographer. He did eight episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, which is sort of like the, you know, I want to say I want to say it's a knockoff, but I mean it's the same basic premise. It's a sub Tales from the Crypt, but it, it, for network TV, it was the, one of the best horror anthology yeah, the, shows ever. The first season of Tales from the Dark Side is terrific. Beyond that, they all kind of decline in quality. I think it went four years, but that's besides the point. Now, he's worked on a lot of Spike Lee's movies. He did Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, um, Malcolm X. He he met Spike Lee while he was working at NYU, and he worked on many of his films, as I just stated. Um, and that sort of, like, is why Jada Pinkett got cast in this movie. Now, originally they wanted Cameron Diaz in the role of Jerry Lynn. I'm not necessarily insinuating that it would have been better, because I think Cameron Diaz is a, is a good actress, provided she's given something to work with. I, however, I don't think in 1995 no, she was a good actress. No, no. So, done well I, I think, despite how I feel about her, her performance, she probably gives the better performance of the two at the time. And I, I do believe, as an actress, she probably does take, would, Took it more seriously than 1995 I mean, Cameron Diaz would there, have. There's, there's moments where she gives a good performance. I think she's just... She, it's not for lack of effort, but like we said, she's acting. Everybody else inhabits that character. Um, one final thing about um, Ernest Dickerson, and then we're going to talk about um, Dick Miller. And then we're going to get into questions. Yes. So. Well, we're going to give the rundown for Jada Pinkett. Oh. Because uh, we, we have to bury her real good. Yes! Um, um, Jada Pink, not Jada Pink, but Ernest Dickerson 
worked second unit on the opening scenes of Day of the Dead. That's one of the first things he did. Didn't so George Romero always giving people a chance to uh, rise their uh, their situation. So he started out in horror, and it was kind of cool to see him. You know, he did Bones, and he did this. So he he had a grounded re- relationship with horror over the years. Um, Dick Miller, unfortunately, passed away in January of this year. He was 90 years old. It was uh, basically a month after he turned 90 that he passed away. This has been a, a shit year for losing elderly people, both he and um, Stan Lee, who are so ingrained in uh in our relationships and here we have the titties Titties. this kind of makes the statement the bummer statement i just made all we're you know because 90s a good run it's not a bummer 90s a good run watching a documentary about this movie he was talking about how he kept flubbing his lines because he was so distracted he'd never done a scene with so much nudity in it that he didn't know how to react um before I get to Dick Miller's rundown, I want to give really quick um, the the two of these women who I can point out. The party babes. One of them is Chasey Lane. Now, yeah. um, she she has uh, had a pretty successful career as an adult film model. And has and a bl- uh, Bloodhound Gang song about her. I did not Dear know. Dear Chasey Lane. It's I, all about wanting to hook up with Chasey Lane. Oh, well, I'm going to give her rundown. Um, she was in the cinematic classic... Interview with a vibrator, which, which you know, I'm pretty sure uh, Siskel and Ebert gave uh, two thumbs up to. Um, she was in Orgasmo, which is a you know, that's a great, it's movie. a great movie. She plays the 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 girl who um, uh, dresses like a lobster and is like, "I'll screw you to death." Terrific movie. Uh, she's in Dirty Bob's Excellent Adventures, which I'm sure is terrific. I'm gonna track down now. As is Come for Me, C U M. Uh, she's also in He Got Game with Denzel Washington. What the fuck? She's in like a real movie? And she, yeah, yeah, she's in the real movie and she followed that up with Coed Cocksucker 14. <laughs> well, that's the best of the Coed Cocksucker series. Yeah, like, that's where they really it, transcended the whole Coed Cocksucking subgenre. That's where the story arc reached its peak. Okay, um, the, the other party babe of note is Tracy Bingham. Now, I watched I this movie and like I didn't recognize her, but she's in the credits, so it's legitimately her. Um, she was in 44 episodes of Baywatch. Um, she's one of the most attractive women of all time. Please look her up. She's really, really attractive. However, I I, I can see her in the movie, but it doesn't really look like her. So I don't know if like they maybe changed her look up a little bit or anyways she posed for playboy in 1998 look at those pictures uh, they were a very big part of my uh, my adolescence but let's talk about dick miller the great dick miller the amazing dick miller, um yes. he plays the role of uncle uh, uncle willie uh he had 181 acting credits to the time of his passing um he he worked all the way back in you know, like the fifties with it conquered the world. He was in the terror with Boris Karloff, uh, Death Race two thousand. He did a lot of Roger Corman movies, oh, yeah. Bucket of Blood, that kind of stuff. Piranha, Rock and Roll High School. He's also in nineteen forty one with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters. So there's two, two of them. Busted. <laughs> you got busted twice. Uh, he was in The Howling, uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, Gremlins 1 and 2, Terminator, Chopping Mall, Night of the Creeps, Inner Space, Amazon Women on the Moon, The Burbs, Amityville 1992, Matinee, and he was in Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Um, he's one of those character actors that maybe people don't remember his name, but but he was always in things 
on a consistent basis, and he has such a unique look. And I, to me, for me personally, he's one of those actors that, like, the older he got, the better he was. Oh, yeah. And by this point, like, he was already a legend, but, like, the 90s were kind of that weird void period where maybe, like, genre actors like that didn't get the respect. However, by the 2000s, like, people were, the you know, the expansion of the internet, having more ability to see things. He really is so good, and he is gone but not forgotten. Never. Okay, let's let's talk about Jerry Lynn, a.k.a. Oh, boy. Jada Pinkett. Um, she's in Menace to Society. She was in 46 episodes of Different World, The Nutty Professor. Uh, she was in Scream 2. Uh, Matrix 2 and 3, Collateral with Tom Cruise, which is a really good movie. Uh, and more recently, she's been in 28 episodes of Gotham, which is a piece of shit show, and fuck anybody who likes it. I know that's a controversial opinion. I've uh, not seen one episode, but, but, so I'm going to back up my boy fuck, Brandon here. Fuck that show. Um, her biggest claim to fame is that she's married to Will Smith, and she's the mother of Jaden and Willow Smith, both of whom are worthless shits. They're just, now, they're just, they're what's wrong with everything in the world. Uh, let's just get out of the way real quick what Willow Smith is known for. She's known for that earworm, terrible piece of shit song, I Whip My Hair Back and Forth. However, Jaden Smith is the philosopher of our, of he's, our, he's a modern day, you know, Socrates. He's, <laughs> he's, the depth and breadth of his genius, um, has been really astounding as, uh, as I've taken a deep dive into over the past couple nights. Well, Fat Tony, I would invite you to um, relay our audience with the great things he has said over the years. I've got just a choice selection of oh, some please. of his greatest tweets. It's your birthday, Mateo said. I didn't respond. Are you not excited to be 15, he asked. Reading my book, I uttered, I turned 15 long ago. Jesus fucking Christ. This one is just one I picked out for the sheer randomness. The Great Gatsby is one of the greatest movies of all time. Comma. <laughs> Coachella. What? Those are too, they're so fucking unrelated. I, I, like, I, I think I burst a blood vessel in oh, my okay. eye reading that. Um, oh my God. What is the name of the of the guy who directed um, The Great Gatsby? It's some chick, wasn't it, who did... Uh, no, it was... Romeo uh, and Juliet and Across the Universe? I thought it was a woman. Well, the guy who did Romeo is... Uh, God, I can't think of his Oh, well, they're just... But, big... but I, I hate... I hate everything that guy has done. Oh, yeah. They've never done a good movie ever. I agree. And this is one that every, the first letter of every word is capitalized. And, oh, God damn, he's so... You do not know who you are or why why your Y-O-U-R possessive tense here. So when you see someone who dose, D-O-S-E, the society comes together as a whole and destroys them. That's a nice little stupid... This... No, wait, that's my number one. I'm going to save that for last. Here's here's another choice one. If newborn babies could speak, they would be the most intelligent beings on planet Earth. I, I've heard that one. Uh, most trees are blue. <laughs> Let's just randomly go there. And uh, here's another Check answer. your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just colorblind. If everybody in the world dropped out of school, we would have a much more intelligent society. Okay, that's just, that's the epitome of I'm 14 and this is deep. But here's my absolute all-time favorite that I almost had a stroke after reading. 
How can mirrors be real if our eyes aren't real? Wow. So and that, and that was that, Matt Tony's rundown of the genius philosopher of our generation. And the problem of horror of growing up with two celebrity parents. Yeah. Um both both you and I grew up in a time where the karate kid, like nineteen eighty five, one of the biggest movies of all time, directed by John Avelson, the same guy who directed Rocky. It's Rocky Light. It's a movie I'm sure that is near oh, near your it. heart. I love it as well. And he's in the remake, which by all accounts is not that bad. It's pretty good for, for okay. what it is. I'm kind of scared of what your opinion was. I I personally don't like the movie. I'm speaking strictly from a public, you know, interest and uh, assessment of the film. However, he hadn't done anything beyond that that is worth a shit. No, that's what I was going to say. That's the only movie he's ever done that I legitimately like. Okay, we're taking it back to Comic Roots. Sorry, the little kid in the movie. And I want to have, you know, give props to the movie for being willing to kill children. I think more movies need to do it. Yeah, um, last year we were in the in the, the renaissance of child deaths in, in horror movies Thank once you, again. It. It and um, uh, Hereditary. Hereditary, dude. Hereditary which is, which is so the, amazing. Those are the, That's that. probably my favorite horror movie in probably the past 15 years. You know, like, I know there's a big divide in, like, what people look for in horror movies. I love slasher movies, you know, which are you know, just blood and guts. But I love a good, um, slow-built, suspenseful horror movie. And Hereditary filled a need that I'd had for a long time. So there are people out there that don't like it. They're and, wrong. And well, I mean, people are entitled to no, their opinion. No, they're not. <laughs> hear, hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. They're entitled to their opinion, but they're wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because Hereditary is terrific, and Tony Collette, the fact that she was not nominated is is, is bullshit. Because she was absolutely on point. One of the best performances I've seen in a movie in a long time. And if it hadn't been a horror movie, I guarantee she would have gotten. Oh nominated. yeah, easily. Because there is there is definitely a bias. Uh, speaking of which, the kid is played by uh, Sean O'Donohue, plays the role of Danny. Uh, he's in Toy Story, Lion King 2, Bugs Life. Uh, he was in a bunch of episodes of Batman Beyond and uh, both of the TV movies. The Iron Giant, uh, 15 episodes of Recess, and uh, it's uh, made for TV movies. And more recently, he was in Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3. Um, his parents, uh, the roles of uh, Homer and Wanda, I'll give theirs really quick. Uh, Tim Zarn plays Homer. Uh, we see him later, earlier on, they're in the, yeah. the catacombs under the place. Uh, he gets his eyes shot out. Um, he was in six episodes of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. He was in Steel with Shaq. Going in 60 Seconds with Nick Cage. Spider-Man, uh, he was in a bunch of episodes of Deadwood. Uh, Takes a chain, uh, Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. But... You know, nothing too too. Hey, he hasn't killed himself or overdosed on drugs. Good for him. Not not that I'm aware of, anyways. I mean, yeah, um, citation wh- needed. <laughs> the the mother, uh, Sherry, or uh, Sherry Rose, plays the role of Wanda. She was in No Retreat, No Surrender three, and I can't remember which movie. Uh, but we also had somebody else uh, on the podcast in one of the uh, earlier episodes that was also in that movie. So interconnections abound. Uh, Devil in the Flesh with Rose McGowan, which was a uh, uh, a masturbatory movie, um, even though there's no real nudity in it. Hey, Russ McGowan had it going, man. All right, let me give some uh, some random trivia real quick, then we'll get to our um, fan questions. 
This movie was released on Friday the 13th. And most movies are released on Friday, so it's not a big, you know, I don't know if that was I'm intentional. I'm sure that was intentional for Tales from Crypt movie, 100%. Well, it's pretty cool, all the same. Uh, other than, like, October 31st. I mean, yeah. like, it's the only, like, lock-in date, you know, you really want to hit for, for a, a horror, horror movie. movie. Uh, this was intended to be the first of a trilogy, with the second film to be called Dead Easy, but it was changed to Bordello of Blood for whatever reason. Now, the... A lot of reasons, I the, found out. Well... We'll get to that yeah. later. The, uh, the post credit scene that is on the version that we are watching, the DVD version... Uh, he says, oh, I'm glad you stuck around, blah, blah, blah. Our next movie will be called Dead Easy. And from what I gather, it was going to be like a a movie about um, like voodoo zombies in um, uh, Louisiana and That'd stuff. That would have been really fun. Yeah, it would have been. Um, I, and I haven't seen the third Tales from the Crypt film, Ritual, which Tim Curry is in. But is there a third one? Yeah, it was released direct-to-video. That's how much I know. <laughs> well, never... But I think that... <laughs> It was um, <coughs> it was uh, branched off from that. Uh, evidently, like the uh, the area where they shot, like all of this uh, in uh, the outside shots are all in British Columbia, Canada. But the interior shots was like an airplane hangar that they renovated. Can I tell my fun fact? Please do. In this airplane hangar during the crucifixion scenes or war scenes, the first load of dirt they had was so mixed with pig shit that none of the actors would go in there until they replaced all of the dirt with <laughs> real fresh dirt. That is 100% fact. Well, well, I... I is there a supplier that uh, that gives pig shit? That, that, like, well, they, they had dirt that was mixed with a lot of pig shit because they were going dirt cheap, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> That's the wit you guys tune in for. But like, it was so foul and stinky that no, stinky. It's like none of the actors would go in. They had to get bulldozers to take it all out and replace it with fresh, untainted dirt. Oh well, I mean, I mean. I, mean, I don't good, blame them. That's, for, that's not actors being divas. That's playing in pig shit. So. Good, good for them for uh, being able to get that for themselves. Yeah. Um, the the set that I mentioned that was built in an air, airport hangar, that was in Van Nuys, California. Mm-hmm. And all the exterior shots were, like I said, were in British Columbia, Canada. Um, there is a part earlier in the film where Gerilyn and uh, CCH Pounder's character, whose name is... Um, uh, going away from me at the moment, uh, were the cat. And one of them refers to him as a him, and the other one refers to him as a her. So this may be the first gender-fluid cat ever in a in a film. Progressive as fuck. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> um, there, uh, uh, Breaker references getting the key from a soldier named Dickerson, which is a reference to Ernest Dickerson. I mentioned that a little yeah. earlier. Um, so... I think now would be a wonderful time for us to get into our fan questions, which we have quite a few. We're probably going post-credit sequence here, people. Yeah, but some of these will be pretty easy and quick to answer, but some of these uh, involve a little more minutiae. All right, this comes from David Thomas, and I want to give a shout-out to David, because David is the one who won our Pot of Gold uh, contest uh, back in March. Whoop, whoop. Uh, so, yeah, David, uh, pictures of you wearing your shirt... Be a fan, dude. Um, what is the mythology of the Crypt Keeper? Um, by all accounts, I I looked this up, and from the comic, it, he was a old man cloaked figure who would you know sort of tell these morality tales. 
And when they moved into the TV show, I guess, you know, they were wanting to use Kevin Yeager to the best of his abilities, so they sort of devolved him into this little, you know, skeletal person. He is the child of a mummy and a um, <laughs> sideshow <laughs> worker from an episode of is, the show. That is from the episode. I'm glad you remember that. Absolutely. As soon as you said it, I thought that's where you were going, so. Uh, yes, uh we actually have a question about our favorite episode. I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, why the hell did Jank- Jada Pinkett Smith survive the movie? This is also from David Thomas. Um, well, uh, Breaker, you know, gave her the, you know, the key and made her the next chosen one. So uh, it was sort of written that way. Uh, that's the best uh, argument I can give you. Um, the key was supposed to be this like through line through the movies, and it does appear in Bordello of Blood, which is the sequel, but it's not really. It's the... just a it's a little side gag. Bordello of Blood is a very flawed movie with some fun elements, but overall, it it shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath as this movie. I, I, but for the record, I do like Bordello of Blood. I like it, but like, um, all right. This comes from Mike Smith. And it's a question regarding the soundtrack to this movie. What do you guys think of Diadems by Megadeth? It's on the soundtrack. And what's your favorite song on the soundtrack? Let me give the rundown real quick. Um, Demon Knight soundtrack was released on January 10th, 1995 by Atlantic Records. Uh, All Music gave it a 3 out of 5 score, which I think is absolute bullshit. Because this soundtrack is this really fucking, fucking killer. Um, it's got Cemetery Gates by Pantera. Tonight We Murder by Ministry. My Misery by Machine Head. And just think about it, that's that's before Machine Head like, really blew, blew up. up. Yeah. Um, Diadems by Megadeth, which was, uh, I I think, released on Hidden Treasures. I think it so. Wasn't on, it wasn't on an album. No. Um, so I don't know if it was released here or on Hidden Treasures. I can't remember which one was released which. Um, Fall Guy by the Rollins Band, uh, Instant Larry by the Melvins. That is my favorite song from the soundtrack. Both of you and I have seen the Melvins. I can't remember, did we see the Melvins together? No, I've only seen the Melvins with Josh, Jesse, and opening for Tool. I, th- I think we, was that at Blue Cats? Yeah, okay. okay we're probably, we're probably yeah, there at we the same there time. when Melvins opened for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Beaten by Biohazard, which I'm not a huge Biohazard fan, but that's a decent song. They got song. some good songs. Uh, Policia by Sepultura. Love them. Um, Hey Man, Nice Shot, which is the opening credits yeah. uh, theme song. Filter, uh, I really liked the time, but then they kind of dropped off the map and became like a... Like a pop rock band almost. Yeah. And uh, my least favorite song on the album, Light 800, Suicide by Grave Diggers. Grave Diggers. So, fir- first things first, what do you think but about for- Diadems? Okay, Diadems as a song, it's fair to middling. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It doesn't, even on the just the soundtrack, a Megadeth track doesn't leap out. I know there's Pantera. I can't really associate Cemetery Gates. I have so many other memories. But Diadems, it's it's a good song. I don't hate it. I, I love um, Dave Elfson's bass line in it, and I think it's a good song. But I understand why it wasn't on an album. Yeah. It's definitely something. It's like a good B-side. side material yeah. um, for for the purposes of a movie. It's perfect. Not not my favorite. Um, um, little little side question: What do you think your is your favorite Megadeth song? Both you and I have seen them live. Oh, well, terrific. I know my answer is immediately "Holy Wars of Punishment." Do. Is my knee-jerk reaction favorite Megadeth song. It just is. Uh, Tornado of Souls from Rust in Peace is Same album. for me. I mean, it's a hard discussion. Holy, Holy Wars would be a... Uh, We're going to need a three-hour side <laughs> podcast for this. It would be a definite number two for me. 
All right, this question comes from Simon Crampton. Uh, do you think they would have been better served adapting an episode for, uh, for the film, or do you like that they went with an original idea? I, it, Me personally, like adapting an actual episode no. of the TV show would have been bad. Yeah. Um, just because... Those thirty-minute episodes were kind of perfect the way they were, for the most part. I think the only only one that I can think of offhand that could be adapted into a full-screen movie was the Robert Zemeckis Santa Claus one. You could probably stretch that out into a movie. It wouldn't be a great movie, yeah. But I'm glad they went with the original IP. And are we going to discuss the other options they were they were thinking you about? Go, go ahead and do that. Like, okay, I did not know this until researching this for the movie from Dust Till Dawn. Was considered uh, the screenplay for that was considered for this movie, which really makes a lot of fucking sense when okay, you think let, about let, it. Okay, put this in this perspective: add the Crypt Keeper at the beginning and the end, and does that not scream like the best Tales from the Crypt movie? Absolutely. I mean, I love From Dust Till Dawn. Anyway, I know a lot of people when it came out hated it. They're like, I thought it was a vampire movie. It seemed like a crime movie. I get the whole thing. I loved it. Um, Bordello but of Blood. That, but isn't that very Tales from the Crypt where like you're... Oh, it's a morality or... tale. It's criminals going into a situation where they end up kind of being the good guy. It's more Tales from the Crypt by theme than this is, but I love that this got made. Bordello of Blood, which was like Robert Zemeckis' first screenplay back in college with some other dude, which got re- heavily reworked for the movie. That was also considered... They came across this, which again, this was heavily retooled. These were all spec scripts they had that they retooled to make Tales from the Crypt movies. And I think this this is the perfect... When I when I went and saw a Tales from the Crypt movie, I read the Fangoria magazines about it. I had HBO at the time. I'd see the behind the scenes. This, for me, is one of the movies that most filled my expectations of a movie. What I wanted it to be, ever. I've been blown away before. Like the first Avengers, um, the Notebook. Okay, I couldn't think of a second one, but I, I thought of. All right, but I'll interject okay. real quick. This guy right here, who plays the second collector, who can't get on the bus because Geraldine poured the blood. Yes. Um, his name is. Um, da, 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 where am I blanking on it? Uh, Mark David. Kinnerly, and he hasn't done much of fucking anything other than this movie. So why bring him up? Exactly. Well, I just wanted to leave it out there. We know it. That's what we're letting you know. Alright, next question. Uh, What is your favorite episode of the Tales from the Crypt series? I can't remember the name of it, but the Christopher Reeve where they start cooking people for the the dining. Now, the, again, that's a hard thing. You asked me tomorrow, it would be di- a different answer. But going from my gut, the Christopher Reeve Tales of the Crypt episode where they're hacking people up for meat at a restaurant is at the... And again, it's like by, by micrometers because, I mean, the, there's also yellow, another Robert Zemeckis one, I believe. That was actually... That episode... Uh, was the only one that's an hour long, yeah. and it wasn't intended to be a Tales from the Crypt episode. It was going to be a spinoff series. It was the pilot for a yeah. spinoff se- series about, like, drama. Dan Aykroyd's in that episode. Yeah, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Triple Ooh, Ghostbusters. You just got busted three times. <laughs> um, my, my favorite, I kind of have a tie, um, and they're both from season two. Uh, the first of which is got Don Rickles and it's got uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Yes, the 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 puppet that is actually I'm a making hand twin. motions on an auditory podcast, <laughs> but yes, I knew what he's talking about. That's up there. 
Um, it's to for me like it's the perfect spirit of Tales from the Crypt because it's it's very goofy, but it has a really heavy handed like uh, setup, and then the payoff. You know, um, your protagonist ends up succumbing to the spotlight, and and he. Morty is the name of the conjoined twin, gets cut off by Don Rickles, and they go on the road, and of course, it doesn't work out for him either. Um, my second episode is sort of like neck and neck, and this is one that I don't ever hear people talk about. I like it because it reminds me a lot of um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. It's got that sort of morality kind of uh, tale to it, but it's, a, yet again, Michael Ironside's episode. It's about oh, a, uh, he's like an insurance salesman who sells insurance or isn't attempting to sell insurance to this rich man lives in a you know big building, and he uh, the insurance salesman and the wife of the man he's trying to sell insurance to concoct uh, a plan to push him off a balcony so they could be together. Yeah. Well, in reality, the like the uh, the adjacent building is owned by Michael Ironside and he's taking he took pictures of him pushing him over the building and the insurance salesman ends up killing himself and then you find out that the woman and Michael Ironside were it was actually a play a double plan double on plan. him to com- to kill her husband so she would be in the clear I have to give my second my my closest second to mine it's the two gamblers Yes, Where with the, Stephen McHattie, is in it? Yes. They cut their and, fingers uh, off? Oh, God, who's the other guy? Oh, my I God. I want to say Lance Hendrickson, and I know it's not. That's the run. That's no, not. Stephen McHattie is the guy who looks like yeah, Lance Hendrickson. It's another uh, guy. Is it Michael Parks? Maybe. But that is one of my favorite episodes where they just keep cut lopping off parts, that, which is kind of how the second Tales from the Crypt movie kind of bookends. That, that, that's very Tales from the Crypt. Oh, you yeah, know, super. You know, like, that's a great episode. Um, this comes from Ben Hopkins, longtime listener. Uh, is the Crypt Keeper the greatest horror host of all time? If not, who is? I had trouble contemplating Damn, that this. Hurts. Um, I'm going to put him at number two, and the only person who's number one to me always has been and always will be is Joe Bob Briggs, and that's because. You cannot, like, you can, like, the Crypt Keeper has been buried, dead and buried for a while, pun intended. But Joe Bob just will not die. I, I gotta, I gotta agree wholeheartedly, 100%. Sometimes I'm usually, like, just on the flip side of him. No, he is 100% right. He is a very, 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 very close second. And you ask me tomorrow, I could change my mind, but. Well, to me, like. Joe Bob Briggs tell- is the epitome of entertainment information presenting you shit you might not have seen. You're right. I well, agree. Here here's my here's my argument. With like Monster Vision and the last drive in and you know the other show he did for Showtime, um you take him out of there, you're just watching the movies. And you could have somebody literally relaying the same information and, and it would not be the same. Right. Tales from the Crypt, if you chopped the segments with the Crypt Keeper out, they would still be good. I don't, however, think you would have the... Iconicness. Uh, yeah. So, you could probably make arguments for I'm going to give Tales from the Crypt... Uh, I'll give the Crypt Keeper one thing. He has a better voice, a better sound. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we'll, we'll give him that win. All right, this comes from Titty Flippin' Travis, and yeah. we knew this was coming. Um, which film is Billy Zane a bigger dick, Titanic or Demon Knight? 
Also, which film is his dick bigger? Okay, they're the opposite. He's a bigger <laughs> dick in Titanic, but he's got a very almost micro penis. His character has in this character, he's a dick, but he's kind of likable, and he's like ten inches uncut in this one. Me, meaty schlong. Demons meaty have giant, thick, like wrist thick dick. <laughs> so there you go, Travis. And we have we filled our dick quota for the. Uh, for the episode. Uh, this question comes from Danny Rainbows, uh, legendary professional wrestler. Thank you, Danny, for sending your messages in. Uh, what's your favorite death scene in Demon Knight? My favorite death scene is by far when uh, Billy Zane punches his fist through the sheriff's head. That's that's terrific. We didn't really talk a lot about the, the sheriff and the deputy, but uh, for me, the deputy is actually my favorite character in the movie, aside from, from Billy Zane. But that, that kill is very good. My favorite kill in the movie, um, man, it's it's hard because there are a lot of really good ones. They kill kids in this. It's hard to pick. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go with uh, with the kid kill throwing the kid out the blessed window, blowing yeah. him up. They finally that's one payoff in the movie. They set up oh the demons can't pass this barrier. Well, that is a good payoff, Sean. This is that's, what the fuck happens when they do. It's very very true. So that that's my answer. Okay. My misery, my machine head. Sorry, we're watching diadems. Yeah. We're watching the soundtrack credits roll by, and this is probably my second favorite soundtrack of the 90s, and I know The Crow is such a cliche answer. Filter's also on it as well. Filter is also on it, but overall it is a better rounded screenplay than this by an inch. Okay, this comes from Brad McKinney. Am I the only one who thinks Jada Pinkett is terrible in this movie? No, no she is terrible in this movie. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up. No, I don't think she's terrible in this movie. I think she comes off as terrible because she is acting in a movie where everybody else seems fucking sprung from the earth into their characters. Post credit scene. What's up, Crypt Keeper? <laughs> But uh, no, like she she is the weak link of the movie. But I'm not gonna say terrible. Her kids are terrible. Scientology's terrible. She's just mediocre. Fuck Scientology. Fuck Tom Cruise. Fuck you, Tom Cruise. We'll say it every episode. Every episode, you piece of shit. You little. You look serviceman in the goddamn mind. You say thank you, sir. You midgety bitch. I will say she is terrible because she's the only time in the movie where like I feel diverted from it. Like, all the other time, I'm really enjoying, and she takes me out of the movie. So, from my perspective, she is terrible. Uh, I'm not going to argue. There's some times where I'm like, I'm definitely writing this. No, that's a valid point, too. All right. This question comes from our good friend, Matt Underwood. Why don't you think Billy Zane didn't become a bigger star? He's too sexy. All the stars in Hollywood were intimidated by his pure machismo and his girthy schlong. No. <laughs> like, he, he's good in roles like that. He's not leading man material because, again, the fl- major flaw of the Phantasm is he doesn't you mean, you mean look the, like mean, mean the, phantom? the Phantom, not the Phantasm. Fuck. Uh, no, um, he's kind of too old school Hollywood good looking to ever play a, a man like pass off as an everyman. And that's true. Uh, a relatable protagonist. He's a great dick because he is a very handsome man. He's a great cameo to pop up. But he just, he was, Hollywood had moved on and entertainment, you know, people wanting their protagonists to be more relatable as the reason I think his good looks worked against him. I, I think you're right. Um, at the same time, like, like we pointed out the Phantom, uh, he plays the protagonist and he's so good at being the antagonist, then that's not a quality that uh, most people associate with 
your leading man. However, uh, not to discount his his career because he's had a legendary career of being a character actor. He still works to this day, and he's I think he's uh, kind of come to a piece with it. Like he's like an A lister for the B list. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like motherfuckers know my name. You yeah. Know, when he yeah. popped up in Zoolander. As like, you know, people do it. I actually have a theory about him in Zoolander that because he's like, oh, it's going to be a dance-off. I think that's the writers making a point to talk about him not being able to dance while he wasn't cast in Dirty Dancing. I might be off base on that. That's a little mean if they are, but it's kind of funny. I, I, That's just me. That's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, the Alex Jones of movie comedy conspiracy theories. Exactly. All right, this question comes from Jay Sweeney. Uh, between Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood, which do you prefer? That's we- not even an answer. Demon Knight is orders of magnitude better. Bordello of Blood is fun. It's got some moments, but it is not a cohesively enjoyable experience as Demon Knight. And if you prefer Demon Knight... I might smack you if we met in person. I don't know. Probably. You, you just said if you preferred Demon Knight. Yeah, mean, I'm sorry. If you preferred Bordello Blood over Demon Knight, I will smack you in the face and physically assault you. Yeah. And I'll hug you after. But. Here, okay. Demon Knight is unfortunately kind of forgotten in the pantheon of like great movies just because it came out in the 90s. The 90s is this weird void of like where there were good movies. but It's the hangover of the, the slasher 80s. Yeah, exactly. And... I think Bordello of Blood was a little more contemporary to what people were wanting in the 90s. And for that fact, it's okay. But for me, Demon Knight is the better movie oh. across the board. If he would have said anything different, I promise you, every person <laughs> loses, I would have smacked him in the face and laughed. Well, I appreciate that. Keep your morals in check. Your integrity in check. Yeah, my integrity. I have no morals, but I have integrity, <laughs> motherfucker. All right, we got a few more. We'll knock through these pretty quick. Uh, whatever happened to the Tales from the Crypt reboot series that M. Night Shyamalan was producing? That comes from Zach Lowell. It, it, I thought it kind of just fell by the wayside and got canceled. Um, I think that, um, unfortunately, uh, M. Night Shyamalan is sort of in a weird position of having a, a career renaissance and and maybe he was kind of hedging his bets, knowing like, okay, this is a given property. I can make this work, you know. Then Split did big. He, yeah, so I think his attention has been diverted. Glass I, was only okay. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I, I, thought, I hated elements of it I very thought, deeply. I thought the pacing was terrible in, in, in Glass. Um, I did like the, um, the cinematography in it. I thought it was terrific. Um, but yeah, it, it fell a little short. But Split and Unbreakable were both terrific movies. Okay, God forbid, but if John Kazir were unable to voice the Crypt Keeper, who do you think would be a suitable replacement? And that comes from Allison Hunt. Mark Hamill. I know it's a cliche answer in the moment of the day, but after growing up on The Joker, that's as close as you can get. And I know he's going to be the voice. Like, it just was, he's the new voice of Chucky and the new remake. And I'm still, I'm open-minded to it. The jury is out on it. We haven't seen it. I'm open-minded. I'm trying to be open-minded. Unlike Evil Dead. The AI thing doesn't really sit well with me. I would rather them do it completely different than do the same thing. I'm sorry. That's one positive towards me. Yeah, it's a dumb idea. But then again, if you've never seen Child's Play, oh, some serial killer's an adult. That's going to sound like a dumb idea. Voodoo is real. I will give it a... Well, I've (laughs) I've seen uh, the Wes Craven masterpiece, 
and I can't think of the name. Oh, fuck, you... um, uh, shit, the Serpent and the Rainbow. Serpent and the Rainbow, so I know it's true, <laughs> but, uh, anyway. My, my pick would be, uh, Billy West. That's a good uh, just one, because, too. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's, a a, he's an accomplished voice actor, and I think he could bring the, you know, sort of the, the silly sinisterness to it, but, for the record, there's only one John Kassir. The only fucking one. The only fucking one. All right. Um, this comes to another question from Titty Flip and Travis, and this is a more serious question. Who would win in a legit street fight between Sadler and Zane? Like, actor-wise? The actors. The actors? I'm, I, okay, Billy Zane is a model. He's spent a, a life staying healthy, staying fit. William Sadler looks like he's fucking lived life. He's gonna fu- he's gonna curb stomp Billy Zane. I, he's gonna beat the shit out of him. I'm sorry, that's just a, like I'm talking about them in their prime. Okay, right now. All right. I I I wholeheartedly agree with you, and this is how I think that fight would go. I think Billy Zane would run his mouth to the point where William Sadler would be so pissed off he killed him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see that. He he would, he would beat him to death with his bare hands. Um, I'm saying, I'm saying legitimately curb stomp. <laughs> All right. We got two more questions. Uh, do you think a series or movie strictly about the Crypt Keeper could work in my head? An office style mockumentary could be really awesome. That comes from Ben Hopkins. I would say an office style mockumentary short subject might work. I could say they could probably get a 90 minute movie out of it. I'm sure that it'd be fun. He'd probably again have to be like, He'd have to have some other main characters to bounce off of, some other protagonist with him. No more than a 90 to 2 hour minute movie. I don't want to see a series, although the idea of it is very appealing. I, I, I think the appeal, idea is yes. very appealing, but I had the same thought. Like, well, other than the Crypt Keeper, like, who do you, who do you have him working off of? I mean, it'd like, have to honestly be a movie version of the, like, cartoon tales from the Crypt Keeper. It'd have to be a save. He'd have to have some human or other person interaction that he could identify with as on a, on the same plane. It, and then at the very end, kill him. That would be hilarious. Eugene Levy. <laughs> You're right. There you go. Make this, make this show happen. <laughs> make it happen now. <laughs> All right. This is our final question. Then we'll call it a day. Um, why did they go with a standalone story rather than an anthology route with like three or five short segments? That comes from Michael Lawson. I'm going to say that they'd already done the anthology route in 70, 70, 72 and 73. Uh, and, you know, they, they, there was also the ability of all the spec scripts that they had bought that could fit in there <coughs> that it would be added work to make it an anthology. Plus, HBO is already uncensored. Well, I so. mean, like, I, I think that it would have made a lot of logical sense to have done it as an anthology film. But at the same time, I mean, that's basically what they were already doing. Yeah. So to do a 90-minute movie kind of, I guess, them gave them more latitude to, like, build up on a story. So I I think they made the right decision. I do have a question. Is this the farthest post-credits that you've ever made it on one of your podcasts? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, We've been staring at the menu for a while, but you know, you're entertained, I'm entertained, so yeah, deal with it, people. That's that's all that matters. We love you. All right, I think that's going to cause uh, cause us to close shop for another month, and we'll be back in uh, June with another excellent episode of the Rants Gone Black with Life. the Wind. Yes, Gone with the Wind. It's going to be, you talk about going along into the post credit <laughs> scene, we're going to talk about Civil War politics for a good hour. Who should have won, Douglas or Lincoln? 
<laughs> Lincoln. <laughs> Vote for Lincoln. That's damn good thinking. Douglas was a fugless. That's that's a deep cut that no one is going to fucking get. S Money Dirty. Look him up on YouTube. Okay. Um, for Fat Tony, I'm uh, Brandon A. Lane. Um, I invite all of you to uh, follow us on Rants from the Black Lodge on Twitter, at Rants Black Lodge. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, comment and all that good stuff on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM, and don't forget to visit us at our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next month. Bye. Good night.